0: I'm Michael Foster,
1: and I'm Emily Foster, and you're listening to It's Good to Be a Man.
0: The Married Edition. Well, we have something a little special in store for you guys. We've decided that every once in a while we're going to do a It's Good to Be a Man Married Edition, where... I will come on with my wife or Nan will come on his, with his wife and we'll we'll tackle some of your questions that we think would be better answered by a couple or at least more helpful. So today I have my feminine half on with me, Emily. Emily, thank you for being on.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, we've got a list of questions. These questions are from a lot of people that follow me on Twitter or on the Facebook page. We kind of took them and condensed them down into uh, simpler questions that might be more applicable to a larger group of people. So we're going to work through these questions uh, today as a couple. Emily will give you some of her thoughts. I'll give you some of mine, and hopefully you'll find them helpful. So let's get right into it. The first question is a question that is very relevant uh, to a lot of parents and certainly something we can relate to. And it came to us from a man that was asking, what do we think about co-sleeping? So, uh, why don't you explain what co-sleeping is? So,
1: So, co-sleeping is often connected with a method of parenting or a style of parenting called attachment parenting. The point of it is to promote bonding or attachment between parents and their child or children. Empathy, lots of physical closeness and touch. So good and... Um, But I think it can often um, become like overwhelming.
0: Well, first off, I should let the listeners know that this is something that we practice early on in our marriage at one level or another. Co-sleeping, but certain aspects of attachment parenting. I wouldn't say that we went in 100%. But there were aspects of it that we had brought into our parenting.
1: Yeah, like you know, when the baby was born, skin to skin contact and lots of baby wearing, and like I had an Ergo and we carried him a lot. And our oldest Hudson, I mean, I, I used the Ergo with all the kids, and we co slept with the the little guys to a certain degree. I would say that um, what we found was having the baby in the room with us and certainly with older children, I mean, it just is going to impede your ability to be intimate.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, especially so guys, I know you guys out there are wanting to have sex with your wife, especially after a long pregnancy and the recovery time. But ladies, I think you may not realize how much of a break you need. I don't know. Children are touching you all day, and it seems to me that you're going to need a different type of touch and just a break from it. So what are our thoughts beyond – do you have any thoughts beyond that?
1: I think you're right. I I think that as a mom
0: – Of course. I mean, that's the main thing. I I love to hear you say that. Say I'm, it one more time.
1: You're right.
0: <laughs> all right. Go on.
1: Okay. I wish you all could see me rolling my eyes right now. <laughs> so anyway, yes, I do think that a different kind of touch is needed. I know for myself that I can get overstimulated being constantly touched by my children, you know, them wanting to sit in my lap or have me hold them. Or
0: breastfeeding breastfeeding uh, you know, every or, couple hours.
1: Um, carrying them in the baby carrier, you know, just the constant contact that you have with your children. And it's all good. But you do need a break. I just, um, I can remember when, especially when Hudson was little, um, that I would finally get him down and then Michael would be like wanting to like cuddle with me. And I'm like, oh, I just need some sp- personal space for just like 10, 15 minutes where nobody is touching me because I'm just kind of tactilely done, you know, at my limit. It's really helpful when the babies are little, when, um, with our little guys, we usually had like either a crib pushed up against the side of the bed. So they had their own little space, but they were close by that if, um, they needed to nurse in the middle of the night or whatever, or just, you know, for ease of checking on them, um, they were close by, but around, you know, nine months to a year, we usually try to start transitioning them out of the room because with little ones that are nursing, they'll because it's available, they'll, they'll wake up, they'll build the habit of waking up more often than they probably need to, um, to nurse in the middle of the night. And then also just, it's good for them. Attachment parenting talks about, um, addressing your child's needs, you know, that they, they have this need to connect with your, with their mom and their dad. And you're looking for ways to help them address those needs. Well, what I, it occurred to me with Hudson that, um, he needed to sleep. He wasn't sleeping well. He was waking up a lot in our room, keeping me awake, keeping my husband awake. But he needed to learn how to sleep on his own. It was a really hard skill when you've, you know, your whole life you've always been with somebody else. So learning how to sleep independent, self, self-soothing, self and um, just developing that skill, that was really important. So um, it's hard to let them, um, cry if, if they're upset, but you know, if you've gone in there and you've checked on them and you're sure that, um, all their needs have been met, like they have a dry diaper, there's nothing that they're, you know, getting tangled in or, you know, like their shirt. Sometimes kids like mm-hmm. Cyprian, I woke him up or got him up the other day and his shirt was in out his neck <laughs> <laughs> and, or his arm was out through his neck instead of through the sleeve. So if you've checked on them, you know that they're okay, then then they just need to learn how to self-soothe and fall asleep on their
0: own. And what your children need more than anything is a happy marriage where the uh, husband and wife are tight and close. There's a time for recovery, obviously. And guys, you have to have things under control. You can't be controlled by your lust. It's normal to have sexual desires for your wife. I hope you do. So you got to give her space to recover and also understand, especially if you have a wife that is a new mother or has a new baby, you have to understand the demands it puts on her body. Women have extra sensitive skin. They're easily stimulated in that way. But wives, you have to remember that uh, your husband also has physical needs, just like you have physical needs, and you need to tend to them and keep the marriage strong. That's going to... Do more for your baby than anything in the long term.
1: And um, I think with the original question that we got in the email had talked about like older children and like what to do if they're like sleeping in co-sleeping in your room. Um, And I would say that, you know, especially if they have a sibling, that they should be able to transition out of um, mom and dad's bedroom into a kid's room. Um, so making sure that there is a friendly kid, kid friendly room for them to sleep in, that it's prepared for them, that there is another, another option of, of somewhere for them to sleep.
0: Yeah. You are, you're, you're a parent, you're in control of these children. This idea that the children are going to lead you, that they're just going to transition when they're ready. Well, I have some kids that would, that would have stayed in our room for much longer than they needed to. Mm-hmm. You're trying to raise adults. You're trying to move them towards independence. You're not trying to shrink down their childhood, but you're moving them through stages. So get them out of the room as they get older. Love one another. Enjoy the marriage bed. Don't let it mess things up.
1: I think, too, that, you know, like, obviously, if they have, like, a nightmare or something, we, like, let our kids, like, I spank out them.
0: On- I spank them. I'm like, come on. A nightmare, son? I have- you're a man.
1: I have a couple... Get that boogeyman. I have a
0: couple... Uh, (laughs) Sorry, go on.
1: I have a couple blankets, like throw blankets and pillows under our bed in a bin. So that way, if somebody comes in in the middle of the night because they had a bad dream or whatever, they just can't sleep, that they can camp out on our floor.
0: Yeah, yeah. Co-sleeping is different than your kids coming into your bed on occasion. One is a practice. Right. One is an exception to the rule. Right. I would not let it be your rule, except for very small children. But obviously there's uh, times where it can be an exception, you know. Right. Well, the next question is a really important one, and it's simply, can men and women be friends? What do you think, sweetheart?
1: Friendly, but not friends in the same way as a man and a man or a woman and a woman can You can't truly have a platonic relationship between a man and a woman. Um, The sex just always gets in the way. God designed us to be sexual beings, so there's always a level of attraction between men and women. Much like two magnets, the pole of attraction exists on a scale. Um, We're always reflecting about the other person, whether their actions, their appearance, their character are godly and respectable or admirable, Um, and you'll recognize the degree in which you're attracted to that person of the opposite sex. Um, But to ignore this would be reckless, and to deny this reality would undoubtedly result in sin, um, and with it would bring pain. So I would say that if you're single, you need to guard your heart and be cautious about the relationships you keep with the opposite sex. You need to be friendly and evaluate who would be a good match for you. Um, If you're married, you should be very mindful about your relationships with the opposite sex. Michael and I make it a practice not to have friends individually, but rather as couples. Um, I basically don't call or email, text, or message men. There's really rarely an occasion for me to interact with them outside of the time I see them in public. Um, when those rare occasions do arise, I often include my husband in the email or text, or if it's a phone call or something where he hadn't been copied, I make a point to tell him about the interaction to keep things on the up and up. No secrets, no hiding. Since sin thrives in the darkness, you want to keep everything in the light.
0: I don't have any girlfriends. You are it. I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not scared of women. I'm not, I'm not scared of... of um, what are you smiling about?
1: Girlfriend.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I am friendly with everybody I know. I'm not scared of women. I'm not scared to give a woman a hug. Um, I'm a pastor, and part of being a pastor is greeting one another with a holy kiss. That doesn't actually mean you have to kiss everybody. Uh, it just means that there's physicality. Between Christians, and um, I'm going to hug a woman, and I'm not going to be ashamed of it. But I'm not. I'm not going to create an opportunity for sin. Um, you can say that's my weakness. Whatever, that's fine. I'm willing to be weak in that way. But I'm not. I, I don't usually respond to a woman uh, via email, even without copying my wife. There could be a very sensitive situation where I might do that. But even then, I'd let my wife uh, know what's up. And we just don't make any provision for the flesh. We know the weakness of our flesh. And I, so again, I'm friendly with the opposite sex. Um, for for example, I talked to my friend Penny. Hey, Penny, if you're listening. I talked to my friend Penny for like 40 minutes a couple weeks ago on the phone, just her and me. But my wife was there watching us talk. Not like moderating me, but she saw us talking. I was
1: staring him down. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but we were, we both were in Penny's wedding. I've known Penny for almost as long as I've known Emily, mm-hmm. and she's she's a sister in Christ. Yeah, but that's not a habit. Usually, I'm going to talk to Penny or any other woman in a kind of group or a couples sort of situation. Right, it's certainly not going to be a practice. So I I, I don't think men and women can be friends in the same way that uh, in so in single. You know, in heterosexual relationships, right? Wait, hetero? Am I saying this right? But same-sex relationships. You You can't have that. Guys are close to guys in a way that they can never be close to a woman. I'm never going to have a baby. Thank goodness. Right? That's for the sisterhood. But the brotherhood, we have something in common that women don't. So um, I don't know why there's this entire push. Well, actually, I do know that the push towards women and men being friends in this a delusion of platonic friendships is is just another push towards androgyny, trying to eliminate the distinction between the sexes to act like it's not uh, an issue. And of course it is. Does that mean like every woman wants to get frisky with a guy and every man wants to get frisky with a woman that they're talking to? Absolutely not. But to deny the differences between the two sexes, is, is insanity, it's foolish the Same sex and opposite sex interactions are not the same And we have to factor that into our relationships mm-hmm. So the next question is kind of a Is actually a deceptively complicated question Can a wife work outside the home? Now, let me start out on this one The reason this is complicated is what does that even mean? Obviously my wife can work in my yard So she can work outside the home Right. She can go mow the lawn. She can plant a garden, whatever. All right, fine. Obviously, I knew that's not what you meant. But she also can go to the grocery store and she can also pay rent. She can also, you know, interact with my kids, educators, if my kids are at a private school or something. She does all sorts of work outside the home. So what I think this person really is asking, what happens when a woman, a mother in particular, I would think... But a woman, we'll just say that, has a vocational job, a job that she does for money outside the home. Do you think that's okay? What do you think, Em?
1: Well, yeah, that was what I had thought to myself as well, those same kind of questions.
0: You were, you didn't think he was asking whether she was allowed to leave the house? <laughs> no. Good.
1: Um, my first thought was, um, you know, what does Scripture say? So Scripture teaches— A woman's calling is to be oriented toward her husband and toward running their household. They are a team, and they cannot be divided, or it will cause major problems for everyone involved, for the husband, for the wife, for the children. So you have to look at their ministry together. You can't consider them individual pieces, but a whole unit. It shouldn't be him running his career and her running her career completely independent of one another. That kind of attitude will result in a lot of complications and contention. Um, There's a lot more that needs to be included for me to answer this well. Is she married or single? If she's married, does she have children? How old are the children? What are we talking about, like three kids under three? Are we talking about school age children that go to school during the day? Is this an empty nester that has college-age and married children? Or is she a single mom that needs to support herself and her, ch- her child or children? All these things would determine how you would answer this question.
0: Absolutely. I mean, look, here's the fact, is that my work outside the home is dependent on the home. So my ability to go do a good job, whether now I'm a, a vocational pastor But for the majority of my life, I've worked in a non-ministerial position. And my wife's support of me made me able to do a good job on the sales floor. I worked for Verizon. I worked for Sally Mae. I've worked for several different companies. And um, so my ability to do well is dependent on my wife. So my wife's very much involved in the work that happens outside the home, even through, by extension, with me. But um, I also delegate a ton to my wife, you know, she is my helpmate. She is my helper. You know, I don't mean that. Some people take that as a as a condescending phrase. Well, you're you're wicked. Mm-hmm. Scripture doesn't use it that way. Scripture uses it as a positive. It's something that exists pre-fall. And uh, I depend on my wife for a lot. I, d- I don't have a feminine side. She is my feminine side, as I already said. She has things that I don't have. She brings skills that uh, I don't have or I'm weak in. And I need her. I need her to do a good job. So my wife is uh, support in that way. But I would also say that part of the problem is that what a household is has been reduced. Right? household is just a place for Netflix and chill. Right? A place where you come to have a meal maybe in between soccer and this commitment and that commitment. It's not really a productive home, a home that's producing things. So Mm -hmm. what happens is a woman's work as a mother is reduced down to uh, just kind of some small tasks. But Emily's been involved in helping with me with my Amazon business, my eBay business, a bunch of my um, entrepreneurial endeavors. Um, She's very capable. My wife, you guys don't know this, but she is a retired RN, and she has worked outside of her home. But we did find that to be problematic at one point in relationship and we wanted to get to the work of of raising children and so we got pregnant and then emily retired after just what you just stopped being a nurse like a week or two before you had the baby
1: um no i was scheduled to work that weekend and when my water broke i called in and and (laughs) saturday morning it was my weekend and uh I called him I'm like, well, my water broke. I won't be in. So. And you, then I never went back.
0: Didn't you take two weeks and just not come back or something? You took, did you have any maternity leave?
1: Yeah, I had, I had my paid leave. And then after, after that was up, then I resigned.
0: Yeah, and she's never worked in nursing since then. And I don't, oh,
1: that's not true. What? I'm a home health nurse. I work with pediatrics.
0: These people might not be falling. She's saying she takes care of my kids and other people's kids as a nurse.
1: That's right. I still use my skills to a certain degree in our own home. So um, I think largely my skill set was geared toward working with hospital equipment. But yeah, I'm joking. I still work with my kids.
0: The reality is my wife was a woman that was gifted in areas of nurturing in particular taking care of health, of individuals' health, and she was aiding doctors in building up a corporation. Now look, are you listening? That's the patriarchy. That's the household. My wife was a helpmate to doctors trying to accomplish their mission of helping people. The reality is that most women that work outside the home are doing a similar type of work that they would do inside the home. But it's not going to be as satisfying in the long run. The only reason you're buying is because you've been sold a, a bill of goods from the culture that's feministic. The reality is, women, you can't escape it. You're going to work for men one way or another. You know, 95% of the Fortune 500 CEOs are, are male. And, and I'm just going to say it's, it's a close percentage on any business, any endeavor. So you're going to end up working for a guy. Why not work for one that loves you, give him children, and build up a a legacy and heritage together, you know? I don't know. You you want to say anything about that?
1: Um, It's just been way more satisfying being here and doing the work of our home, um, bringing forth the kingdom of God here on earth and um, practicing hospitality and raising a godly seed than it was working in the hospital, dealing with doctors with God complexes and tons of paperwork and working hours that would affect our relationship because, you know, I was working three 12s, uh, three 12 hour shifts a week. And it was Trump like, Oh, this is such a great schedule, but nobody else in the world runs that way except for those in medical care. So you were working, you know, five eights a week and I was working three 12s and Two of those days afterward, I was, like, recovering. and So it's like we we just didn't really get to spend much time together.
0: So my advice to anyone out there is if your wife, wife is working outside the home and it's not because you're in a later stage of your life or a very early stage of your marriage, my advice would be to transition out of it to, to the best of your ability, recognizing that I know you all are in different financial situations and that might not be immediately um, – something you can do, but things that you really care about, you tend to make happen. So let's go into the next question, though. How does a couple make time for each other when they have a large family? We got this from a couple people, people that have adopted kids, people that already have six kids. We have six kids, um, and this is hard. This is hard when you, even before you have five or six kids, it's especially hard when you have a lot of little kids that keep coming out of bed or super needy. But a a productive home is a very busy home with lots going on. You know, for a while we had, at one point we had our kids in uh, swim lessons and in karate at the same time. It was insane. And right now we have the boys in a frisbee golf.
1: Junior league. Frisbee golf junior
0: league. Okay, junior league. And the girls are just finishing up uh, ballet. They have their ballet recital on Monday, right? It's a tap
1: a tap routine. Mm-hmm. Is it a
0: tap routine? I didn't know that. They're
1: doing ballet and
0: tap. Okay, it's going to look probably pretty pathetic, but they'll be cute because they're little girls so in tutus, cute. right? <laughs> okay, <laughs> but so it's a good question and it's a hard one. Um, but here is my wife's answer that will solve all your problems.
1: No pressure. Okay. Um, well, so what we what we've done over the years um, is. Some of the things that we've done over the years has been making time to s- time together in the evenings, and usually, like when we would put the kids down as long as like michael wasn't at a meeting or something, we would spend the evening together. It might just be like an hour or two, but we might play a, a game or remember
0: that time we made battleship into a drinking game
1: oh that was really fun
0: <laughs> you had to i'm sorry t tollers, but anytime you hit someone 's ship you had to
1: Take a sip of your wine. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's a dangerous game unless you have... Well, it's a dangerous game. <laughs> so, uh, you know, maybe you have a cutoff.
1: You might get sunk. Yeah. Um, anyway, so we would spend time in the evenings playing board games, maybe watching um, an episode of something. Like right now, we're watching the show Bosch together. You know, maybe we were listing products online to sell, or maybe we were reading a book together, um, or drawing or, you know, whatever. So we would spend time together in the evenings and, um, we made it a habit that we would go to bed together, like into our bedroom together at night that it wasn't like he would stay up longer and I'd go to bed or he'd go to bed and I'd stay up, but that we would retire to our bedroom at the same time and try to sync up our sleep schedule. I've talked to women about this idea and, they just kind of were like, oh no, that wouldn't work for us. That wouldn't work for me because, you know, we put the kids down at like seven thirty, and I go to bed at nine because I have to get up at 5.00 AM. Cause I'm part of the 5.00 AM club, you know, so that way I can get up and do my Bible reading and have my devotional time, you know, before the kids are up and get my chores done for the day, you know, so everything is ready before the kids are even awake. So, um, I, I hear you with that, but frankly, the 5 a.m. club is trash if your marriage is a mess. You know, that you can have um, an immaculate house and you can check off your Bible reading in a year for the day, but if you're at odds with your husband, if you're not, you know, making time to spend together, and, you know, I just, I would say sacrifice your preferences in that kind of a sense, you know, go to bed instead of at nine o'clock, go to bed at like ten thirty or 11, get up at six or seven instead of five and make sure that you're putting your marriage first. The other things that we do, um, we call and text each other throughout the day. Um, you know, don't wait until the kids are in bed for, for you guys to turn on the charm, flirt throughout the day and build up that anticipation.
0: Yeah, I think you're dead on with about—look, uh, uh, look, guys, you're all going to be a little bit different, so when we are telling you what we do, we don't—unless there's a scripture that prefaces it, it's it's our application of wisdom, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, it's not like we're saying this is prescriptive, like you yeah, have to do yeah. it this way, this- but- this is how we've looked at scripture and thought, like, okay, how can we apply this to our life? And this is what it looks like.
0: Yeah. So I, I say you just you find out what works for you. But the reality is, I found that I I'm a night owl. My wife is not. My wife is a uh, pretty pretty standard sort of person. But I, I like to. I used to like to stay up very late she reminded me the other night that we had made a new year's resolution to start going to bed before midnight <laughs> and, and that we're rarely up, uh, these days we're usually to bed around 10, when we really on top of stuff.
1: Yeah. I think, I think that resolution was at least five years ago now, but, um, yeah, I am not a, a night owl and I am not an early bird. I am a middle of the day <laughs> person like, um, uh, there was a time where I really appreciated having a nap in the middle of the day too. But now I don't have a baby that's getting up in the middle of the night so much. So, um, yeah, I can make it through the whole day without a nap now.
0: So I would say that you just, you got to try to sync up your schedules and you got to make sacrifices. Look, you're going to either feel the pain now or feel the pain later. Mm -hmm. And so many marriages, uh, are just, they're not tending to one another. They're not tending to one another sexually. They're not tending to one another interpersonally. They're not listening, praying with each other, just hanging out, keeping that relationship strong. And uh, and it should be no wonder that when the kids leave the home that you see divorce rates uh, skyrocket. Because they have just not, you know, it's the vineyard, the wall's broken down, it's all overgrown, it's not in good shape, and it's it's hard to fix those things later in life. The easiest way to get in shape is don't get out of shape, right? Most of us are relatively thin when we're young, and then our metabolism stops, and then we get fat, we're out of shape. Well, marriage is, you want to take that youthful energy that God's given you, start well, keep going well. And uh, but if that's not the case, no time better than now to get it right. So you can do a date night; that's fine. But what you need more is, I think, uh, is qual or quantity, not just quality. Some people think they can patch these things up with a date night once a week. Um, th- th- there's nothing wrong with that. Getting out, women like to be taken out, be r- uh, be romantic and all that stuff. But I think you need you need a lot of quantity time as well, and you've got to build that into your habit.
1: You know, you say that about um, quantity versus qu- you know, quality, or anyway, it it made me think of with our kids. We've been I've been taking the the kids out for a walk every morning, and um, it's a way for us to just get some nature study time in that we can observe what's going on. That you know, like during the different seasons, what has changed in our neighborhood. You know, oh those flowers are blooming right now. Oh look, there's a new bird's nest over here, or um, you know, just whatever the changes are around the neighborhood. Um, well, I think the same, th- what I've noticed with us doing that is that slowly, little by little, the kids have learned a ton of different types of flowers and birds and um, just spiders and mushrooms and whatever because of just this little, little bit every day. 20 minutes is our walk. So, and the same thing with spending time together as couples that, you know, maybe you're only spending... Uh, an hour together every night after the kids are in bed and that's what you can fit in. Or maybe it's only a half hour or maybe it's an hour and a half, whatever. But by you, you know, making that a consistent thing that you guys spend, you end the day together and go to bed together, um, that that's going to pay dividends in the long run. Little little by little, it's going to build up.
0: How do you prepare daughters for adulthood? Again, I want to preface this one. And here's the reality, is that our daughters are six and f- about to turn four, right? Yeah. Okay. So my daughter Galilee, my other daughter Cedar, we do not have adult daughters. We are in our late thirty, mid to late 30s. So I think anything you're going to hear from us here, I want to put a little asterisk by it, okay? Um, I hate when people with like one kid that's like one years old, are lecturing me on education, lecturing me on diet, and all this stuff. You're young and stupid. You know, I give me a break. Have a sense of proportion. But um, so we can tell you some things we're thinking about. I have been, uh, we've been involved in ministry our entire adult life, and uh, I was a youth pastor for a long time. And so I, I've I've got to watch girls move from 13 to, you know, some of those girls that were 13 year old. 13-year-olds when I was ministering to them now are well into their 20s, you know, so well into their 20s, mothers. So we, we do have some thoughts, but we want to just make sure that you know that this has that asterisk. So, Emily, why don't you give me your thoughts, and I'll share your mind.
1: So you largely prepare them or teach them by example. Titus 2, 3 through 5 says, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior Not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. And then also in Deuteronomy 6, it tells us how to live a life honoring to God. It says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So in this one, it's It says, you know, you shall teach your sons. And um, uh, as I understand it, that this is written in like a, a masculine inclusive.
0: Yeah, it, it applies to all children, no doubt.
1: Right. So just much like when you're talking to a group, a mixed group of boys and girls in Spanish, you would use the masculine form of the verb. And then also Proverbs 22, 6 says, train them up in the way they should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. So everything... In the atmosphere of your home, in the disciplines and habits you keep, all that you do is you educating, training, preparing your daughters to live a life to honor God and to enjoy Him forever.
0: That's good. So I was reading a study today that was mind-blowing. It was more or less saying that women who had a positive relationship with their father, the father was involved in their life, have a better sex life. And at first it grossed me out because any connection between a father and his daughter's sex life, you know, it's not something I like to think about. But it underscores the importance of a daughter's relationship with her father. I know a lot of people think that a woman a woman learns a ton from her mother, but in terms of her understanding of, of modesty – her understanding of boundaries of men I mean that's deeply tied into her father obviously so one thing I would say is preparing your daughters for to be women dad take interest spend time with them talk to them when they my daughters draw me a lots of, of of terrible terrible pictures they look well my one daughter's actually pretty good but my other daughter draws rainb- rainbows and they don't even look like a bush I don't I don't know what they are but I say, oh, that's great, sweet. Thank you, sweetie. Keep keep working at it. So I think you want to compliment them on their beauty. My daughters are pretty. They're little pretty blonde girls. But you also want to encourage them to be modest in their posture, how they sit, how they dress, and compliment them on, on beauty of spirit. So I always tell my girls, like, I love your heart. That's great. And if they're, being, if they're being nasty, I'll say, Darling, you're pretty on the outside, but ugly on the inside right now. Stop that. Don't be ugly. Have a, have a quiet and gentle spirit. That's what the Lord loves. That's what he wants you to have. Be like your mama. So I think part of the way you prepare them to choose well when it comes to a husband, like, look, listen to me, guys. If your daughter is getting in the backseat with a guy, on on her first date with them in her late teens, to some degree, that's your fault, right? That's a reflection of your parenting. I mean, all these hyper-patriarchal guys that are like, I gotta protect my daughter. Really? You know, like... I'm with you, protect her, but part of protecting is raising her up in a godly way. I mean, you've had 18, 19 years to disciple her, and she's going to hop in the back like that. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. I think that's a, a, a hunger for uh, attention and intimacy that that has been built up over the time uh, of her life. So you just want to spend a lot of time with her. That'll go discipline her. You know, people would always say, oh, your daughter's going to have you wrapped around her finger. Like hell she is, no, I love my daughter i I know that she needs discipline, just like my sons. I know better than that. I don't think little girls are angels; they're certainly cute. little boys can be cute in their own way, too, but i look, boys and girls are equally fallen, equally need discipline. The discipline may take slightly different forms. But they need discipline nonetheless. So that would be my answer. Uh, obviously, everything my wife said, I agree with. But uh, make sure dads are involved. If you don't have a dad involved, it's rough. Single moms, it's rough. And uh, pray that pray that the Lord would bring a man your way. Uh, grandfathers, hopefully, um, a good. Uh, your their uncles. I mean, hopefully that will. You have a godly source of men somewhere in your life.
1: Yeah. and uh, You know, practical things, you know, you want to be taking your girls along and teaching them how to run a household, how to, you know, do the dishes, how to fold the laundry, how to clean the bathroom, how to cook, how to bake, um, how to read and write and do math. Um, you know, you want them to be reading and, and be able to understand concepts and be able to carry on conversations, learning deference, um, learning how to um, conduct themselves in a way that is is polite and um, respectful, how to um, how to care for others and think of others better than themselves. A woman, an adult woman primarily is is going to be, helpmate to her husband and, um, and then raising a family and running a household. So you're, you want to be thinking about what kind of things are involved in that aspect and what you need to, what skills she's going to need. So it's not like you want to have, um, a girl who can't, you know, read a book and wrestle with the themes and the ideas within the book because, um, she's going to be, really influential in raising up the next generation so she you want to raise girls that are competent
0: yeah so this is someone asked me about this this is not a question that's on our list but i'll bring it up someone asked me like what do you do how do you basically orientate your daughters towards being a homekeeper as opposed to a career woman and the truth is we don't ask our kids what do you want to be when you grow up that's that comes up every once in a while with with our kids but it's not that's like look that's like the more you know 1980s after-school special nonsense Um, we don't care what our kids do in one sense we care what type of people they are we want them to be productive we want them a virtue we want them to be competent so right now we are uh, what we focus on with all our kids is hey how are you producing what are you making we don't want you just to be a consumer are you are you doing art? Are you creating? I tell my son, look, don't play games. Make the games that people play, hmm. right? I don't want you to be in love with video games. I want you to be in love with with uh, engineering video games, right? Be the guy that makes what other people play on. Be a producer. So we're always trying to train our children, our daughters included, included to be competent and to be producers. Um, we don't want to uh, soft sell feminism, where like. Oh well, what do you want? Oh you want to be an astronaut? Oh darling that's great. If my daughter gives up being a wife and a mother to be an astronaut I would be heartbroken. I'd be heartbroken. I don't give a cr- what I want. I want grandchildren. I want my line to continue. I want the beauty of of motherhood and marriage uh, to be conferred on my my little girls. I don't care if they step foot on on the moon. I it's not a big deal to me. So I, I see just sidestep the whole career thing and work work on being competent, on being producers, both with your boys and girls. Any thoughts on that before we move on?
1: Oh, well, you were just saying, like, if if they would give up the being a wife and a mother, like, I would be heartbroken because one of the most special things has been having children in my life. You know, to, like, physically to grow a baby inside of me is... I know guys get kind of weirded out when they think about it, but it's amazing Like to be able to feel your baby, the fruit of the love of your husband and yours, um, moving inside of you, feeling those kicks and hiccups and flips and whatever. It's just amazing. It's one of the most special feelings. So the thought of her not experiencing that and then not experiencing holding a newborn, and, and smelling that smell, and, um, and then being there when your baby first speaks and takes their first steps, and then, you know, as their personality um, shows more and more. Like, it's really fun seeing Galilee draw, and the little pictures that she draws are so sweet.
0: So our next question, I know, is going to be a popular one, and that's simply, what sex advice would you give newlyweds? So I've got a special sound effect for this.
1: Okay. All
0: right, so I'll tell you what, Emily, you can take the wife and I'll take the husband on this.
1: Okay. Um, well, I was given a fair amount of bad advice leading up to our wedding. It caused me to honestly be kind of scared. And so I had a difficult time relaxing. So my advice is, Try and relax. Remember the reason why you fell in love with your husband. Remember that you are attracted to this man. Remember that sex is good and can be fun and enjoyable. Um, Find ways to connect with your husband and flirt with him throughout the day. I've heard it said that women are like crockpots. We need time to warm up. So you need to build the habit of perpetually preparing for your next time of intimacy. How often that frequency is needs to be determined between you and your spouse. Um, but I'd say that for, the, for most couples, it, it probably needs to be several times a month. Dare I say several times a week. <laughs> um, ladies, this is one of the top ministries to your husband and to yourself. It renews your covenant. It protects your marriage bed. And it just de-stresses both of you.
0: Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, frequencies all over the place. It has to do with um, age, stage of life, number of kids, health, all that. But um, if you're in your normal sort of fertility period as a a lady and the man's around the same age, uh, most people average out at about three times a week. Okay? Okay. But that's just from very incomplete studies. I think um, what I would tell men is what they have to understand is that a woman's sex drive is not like yours. Yours is pretty consistent. Uh, a man's hormonal stability is from really his 20s all the way up into his 60s. It's, it, you know, if he's healthy, there's not a major decline in it, and his sexual desire is always quite potent. Whereas a woman um, is cyclical, right? It goes up and down with her cycle. Uh, when she's moving towards um, ovulating and all that, she's like, give me a baby. So the body has, shoots out a little extra testosterone and makes her more um, sexual, uh, sexually interested and available, at least at a hormonal level. And then when her body fails to conceive, uh, then it moves into a different hormonal uh, status. And she's going to be less interested, more clingy it doesn't mean she won't want to have sex it's just gonna she's gonna change so I think you you gotta learn your wife's cycle and understand that some parts of the month are she's gonna be more available than others and and that's okay that's normal I think that's part of what it means to live with your wife in an understanding way a woman a woman's life is really built around her cycle in a massive way and around her ability to produce children I mean it's a big part of her physiology it's a big part of her uh, hormonal nature. So you, you've you got to be aware of that. So be understanding. And then also understand that uh, your wife doesn't want to orgasm every time. She just doesn't. It's not sex. She, I'm not saying a woman doesn't want to orgasm. She does. I think a lot of guys don't understand that most women can't orgasm through penetration um, because where the clitoris is located, it's not going to be stimulated via penetration uh, in most cases, and she'll have to be manually stimulated for her to actually orgasm. So most guys don't understand that. So they, they may think she is, but she's probably not. Um, but once you do understand that, it doesn't mean she wants to orgasm every time. She wants to be close. She wants to connect. So don't, don't treat her like a man. Uh, so you've got to actually want to make sure you are satisfying her. That's a command from First Corinthians uh, chapter seven verse five. You want that to be there, but understand that her her desires are different. Her cycle is different. You've got to be patient. You've got uh, the saying that men are microwaves and women are oven. That's that's pretty true. Women take a little while to get going, and it's almost uh, the way that you get a woman turned on and get her moving is her mind. It's her mind. A guy, we you touch us. And things start moving pretty quick for a man. But for a woman, you have to really get into her head and and talk to her and get her interested. So flirting, I think that's why romance works where people think it works. Um, But what's really going on is just you're engaging a woman's imagination. You're making her feel cared for and you're building it up. Um, that desire. So I think that's just important. Be patient, understand her cycle, understand her desires are different than yours, learn what she likes, and take take time. You know, I read uh, Intended for Pleasure right before we went on our honeymoon, and I haven't read that book in years, but I do remember there was something I took away in one chapter that was just more or less be be patient and just explore and get to know each other. On your honeymoon. And I took that advice and we ended up having a really good honeymoon. It took away a lot of the pressure. And so, believe it or not, sex, if you're loving each other, right, sex gets better through your marriage. Mm-hmm. And the good thing is you don't know. Like early on, you're just glad to be having sex uh, routinely, <laughs> you know? Um, but after being at it about 15 years, um, you you definitely get better, and it becomes where you know each other's body. So that would be the general advice I, I'd give. Is there anything else you want to add?
1: You well, you said something about being available, and that that is a good point. That um, ladies, you know, be available to your husband. Um, make it a priority, and then also that be responsive, be cheerful. You know, like nobody wants to go to bed with somebody who's like. You know, clawing at the walls and hanging their head and moping about it,
0: or just laying there like a starfish, right? Just laying there with no interest. No guy wants that either. A guy wants a woman to want him, right? And uh, so and just so tell as
1: a woman, yeah. right? She wants to be, she wants him to want her, and her to. They, it needs to be reciprocal.
0: You, you got to learn to communicate. You got to talk. You got go to go some weird places sometimes in your conversation, and just be willing to do it for the sake of the marriage. So that would be. The general advice I would give on that one. Now, moving right ahead, what should a husband do when his wife says no? So I'm just going to, well, what do you, what, this is a weird question, but it's one that people are talking about a lot online right now. So let, let me hear your answer.
1: Well, I'm going to guess that if a woman is flat out saying no, It's because there actually has been several conversations about the matter in the past. If she's giving an emphatic no, it's because there's nothing new being brought to the conversation. So there's nothing new to consider. Like, dude, we've already talked about this. You've made your arguments. I've made mine. This is where I'm at. No.
0: And so let's say that's the situation. And I say, well, I'm your husband, this is my house. You married me and you took a vow to obey me. I understand you're saying no, but this is what we're doing. What would you do in that case? Okay. (laughs) Well, it depends, right? You know, there's, there's some things that aren't lawful. I don't imagine you're going to go along with, or are you? You're going to, if I say, look, this is it. We're we're taking down vice media. I'm going to (laughs) burn it. I'm going to burn it to the ground. It's the gayest thing ever. It's got to go.
1: No, no. I mean, like as long as it's, it's, as long as it's not something that's causing me to disobey God's word, you know, that as long as it's something that's lawful. So like, you know, that you say we're going to, um, let's say, or I was going to say school, like say you, You want to have our our kids all enrolled in school, and we've been homeschooling, and we've worked through this. And um, ultimately, the decision is yours because you're the head of the house. So if you've if if we've looked at everything, and then you've come to the conclusion that it is in the best interest of our children for them to be enrolled in a school, I, as much as if I don't even if I don't like that's that decision I would submit to you because you're the one who has to take the responsibility for the decision. And I, I'm called to submit to you and your authority.
0: Yeah. Well, I think the fact is, is that I don't think so. It's hard for us to answer this question because we try to talk things out. Sometimes talking things out is us screaming at each other, but not as much as it used to be. Mm -hmm. But rarely is there either one of us just saying no yeah (laughs) that doesn't happen very often i think uh what usually happens is we talk about it sometimes we might fight a little bit go back come back at it
1: we really look for ways to come to the to the same conclusion like we work hard to like both be on the same page
0: yeah yeah so i think some some of the people that are really concerned with this this question i think um I think your wife could be obstinate, right? She could if she's always saying no, it could she could just be being ungodly and, and loud and unsubmissive and, and all that. You know, I I don't think a woman saying no is is always justified. I also don't think it's always sin. I, I don't think that's the case either. But um I think some of y'all have some marriages that have some deeper problems, mm-hmm. you know. But here's just a couple of thoughts off the top of my head is what do you disagree with? That's what I would ask. Why are you saying no? You know, and then here's what I'm saying. You know, part of leadership is not just commanding people.
1: Yeah.
0: Right? Part of leadership is inspiring people to follow you. Um,
1: Persuading.
0: Yeah, there's persuasion. Well, I shouldn't have to persuade my wife. Well, I think you kind of (laughs) suck. You know I mean,
1: she probably wants to be won over, like she wants to be on the same page and and on your side, you know
0: and and women are fearful they're given to anxiety they're given to fear, and a lot of times if you can just put their fears to rest um they'll fall in line but um i, I just think you want you want to be willing to take all the tools um and and use all the tools in your tool belt, you don't want to just. You know, I, I always hear these guys that just like want to slap down the submit card and I get this sense that They're not very skilled communicators. They're not very well thought out Now look you may be and she's still obstinate. There's there's terrible women out there But um, I would like exhaust all possibilities be mm-hmm. patient ask god to give you patience Bear with her. She may be weak. She may just be really scared and so part of bearing with a woman is understanding her fears and anxieties and, um, always consider, you know, well, she loves me. She married me. She gets naked in front of me. We have sex. That's kind of a big deal. Right. And yet she's saying no. Um, why would she say no? You want to be willing to go back and consider the possibility that you've made some sort of, um, poor decision. Um, it maybe you haven't, but it may be you have. And, um, Thank God for speed bumps, whether they're friends or the friend that is hopefully your wife, you know?
1: Yeah. Don't forget the power of prayer, you know, pray for your wife or if, if she is truly being obstinate, that you're praying for her, that she would soften and that she would be willing to submit herself to you and um, pray for wisdom that you would make good decisions and that you would lead your household well.
0: One last question for this episode. This final one is what do you tell a woman who is struggling with being submissive?
1: I often hear that a woman struggles with submitting to her husband because she doesn't feel like he understands how hard it is. Remember that your husband also has people he has to submit to as well. He has governing officials that he has to submit to. If a police officer, you know, tells him that he has to pull over, he has to submit and pull over. He has to submit to the leadership of the elders of his church. If he has an employer, he has to submit to his boss. All of these people are sinners and can make bad decisions that he has to follow. Um, what's the saying? Heavy is the head that wears the crown. <laughs> I'm, I'm often so very thankful to be the one that has to submit to the decisions rather than being the one bearing the full responsibility of making them. Um, it's, it, and it's not like my husband makes decisions without talking to me, you know, you know, making those decisions before, before he settles on what's the best thing to do. Like we just said in the, the previous question, we, we talk through most everything. And I respectfully share my thoughts and opinions about a matter with him, but in a, a deferential way
0: it, yeah, I mean that's great in a, in a, in a nutshell, you're saying, <laughs> be understanding, you know, understand yeah. that he has authorities over him, and um, you know it's interesting. Scripture says that you should love your your love your enemies, right that we're actually commanded to do good to those that wrong us, those that revile us, but for some reason, when it comes to a difficult husband a difficult spouse that doesn't imply so scripture tells us to love our enemies but apparently not if the enemy is someone we're married to suddenly then we are allowed to be nasty and um and unloving of course i'm i'm being sarcastic here but um what i would tell a woman that's being unsubmissive is you are a you're a stench in the nose of god <laughs> You are. It is It is a sin. It is terrible. I tell the same thing to a man that won't submit to the elders of his church in a lawful way. Right? You're a stench in the nose of God. Same thing to someone that rebels against a God-ordained state official. You know, what you're doing is shameful. So if you are struggling with being submissive, I would say, first off, uh, love your husband. Try to understand where he's coming from, what he's trying to do. Understand how how, how you fall short. Towards God and and yet God loves you, um, and also do all things to bring glory to God. Submit to your husband, trusting that the Lord will protect you. I mean, Sarah had to deal with Abram, and I think he, uh, I think she's a good model for you to follow, according to First Peter chapter three. So yeah, I mean, pray, pray that God would soften your heart. I've I've had some terrible managers I had to submit to when I worked in the sales. Just ungodly people, and uh, I've had some elders that have made questionable decisions that I've had to follow. Uh, look, we all find ourselves in these situations, and we want God to we want to trust God in them, and and that that goes for our wives as well. Uh, that well, look, uh, I hope this was a helpful show. Keep sending us questions, and we'll do these uh, uh, so often. And um, until next time, Emily says
1: adios amigos <laughs>
0: <laughs> alright hasta, uh, hasta la vista
1: it's not an H it's an hasta it's like Spanish you know
0: <sighs> devil woman